with prayers since we're running a little bit late today. I'll try to get you guys out on time. Um, but if we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that you have blessed us with uh, Jesus Christ, Father, and our new covenant. Lord, I thank you for the ladies that are here. I just pray that um, we would just be encouraged by your word, Father. Rejoice and then be encouraged to share it as well. Lord, I pray for those that are not with us. Please keep them safe and bless them uh, wherever they are, Lord, on spring break or at home. And Lord, we just ask for your um, guidance over this time that we have together in this next 30 minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, just a quick review. We've talked about Christ, the merciful servant, and Jonah. We've talked about Hosea, the faithful husband, and... Um, and then in Isaiah, we talked about Christ, the glorious king. So we've really kind of covered a lot of really important attributes of who Christ is. And today we're going to talk about Christ, the new covenant. Um, not, I'm not going to re review Jeremiah so much because you kind of did that in your discussion groups. But I really want to focus in on the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then the new covenant and the law of Christ. So we're going to do that this morning. Um, I do want to give credit to uh, a book by Todd called Sinai and the Saints that was very helpful because this was a, a heavily researched <laughs> topic. It's not one you can just go to and be touchy-feely and, and, and everything. You really have to do research. And I am just, this is the tip of the surface. So um, just we're doing an overview because I have 30 minutes. Um, but many commentaries. Um, were very helpful in this. First of all, I think it's helpful to know what is the Old Covenant. Sometimes we think, well, it's the Ten Commandments plus a bunch of extra little stuff I don't know about. Um, the Old Covenant is also known as the Mosaic Law, since these laws were given to the nation of Israel as a covenant people through the mediator Moses from God. The Old Covenant was ratified through the blood of animals. Uh, this was in your book. Required perfect obedience to the law made blessings conditional upon obedience to the law, was written on tablets of stone, it provided a relationship to God through a human priest, and it did not take away sin or provide a clear conscience. If you thought there were only 10 commandments, try 613, because that's how many commandments there are. Traditionally, there are 613 commands given to the nation of Israel to follow in the five books of Moses. It's not just 10. Also known as the Pentateuch, these five books contain Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These six, three, 613 laws addressed moral, civil, and ceremonial issues. The Ten Commandments are the first set of laws that the Lord God gave to Israel to summarize their covenant obligations as a people to be obedient and separate from the idolatrous nations around them. They were to be different. These are followed by successive laws, the 603, given later in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So a general summary, I'm not going to go over these. These are in your handout. Uh, just kind of shows you all these different laws, what they deal with, um, the rest of the 603 laws. So why did I include this in our lesson? I just thought it was really helpful to understand the, the weight of these laws and how important they were. So they were significant to the nation of Israel. And the Bible says the law is good. So as we speak about the Mosaic Law, I want you to understand God says this is good. The law is good and holy. 
Um, the Old Covenant law is a mirror. Scripture declares that the law is good and holy because the Old Covenant law is a mirror. What is the purpose of the law according to scriptures? The Bible gives us a picture of Israel's failure to honor God through a sincere obedience and also the law's inability to produce a lasting heart change. So the law is good in that these laws are good. They reflect God's character. They give instruction to the nation of Israel. They point to Christ. Uh, they give instructions for the tabernacle. And they also give even hygienic laws here. So the law is good. But the law was no man, no sinful man was able to fulfill this law. By deciding how to rule over our own lives, we put ourselves in the place of God as Israel did, and we create our own set of rules. So this is going, this law, this mirror is going to reflect that issue. Um, Jeremiah 2.13 puts it well, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You've probably heard this verse. It's a great <coughs> illustration for this self-serving uh, rule of laws that we decide that we want to follow our laws, not God's laws, or we want to follow part of God's laws, but not all of them. Um, a cistern in biblical times was an underground reservoir that they dug into the ground to hold water, and it was sealed and uh, waterproof. Often, though, it would include dirt, debris, bird droppings, maybe dead animals, especially if the lid was not on properly or they could come in through. So if you had a broken cistern, not only did you not have clean water, but it, it was muddy. It had all of these foul things in it. Even if you had clean water, you may not even have water in it. And this contrast that Jesus gives is that, uh, that God gives is that he is the fountain of living waters. And we know that to be Christ. So you've got this fresh cup of cold water compared to this dirty water that just has stuff in it. You don't even know what it is. Um, so that visual is strong, and deep down, it's a picture of how we are rebellious to God through our self-serving nature. We're born with a sin nature and are not able to perfectly worship and serve a perfect God, so we dig our own sisters instead of going to the fountain of living water. Unfortunately, we don't see ourselves in this light of being rebellious. We love our family and we're generous with others most of the time. Um, we don't gossip about others or tell white lies some of the time. And we always put God's desires above our own in our daily decisions, probably very little, if at all. Um, from far away, we might look great. You look great. Once you take a mirror and you bring it up closely to who I am, all the cracks, the crevices, the dysfunctions, um, they all get closer, and my motives, you see that I'm naturally self-centered. That's the way I am. The law shows us truthfully our inability to keep the law. Remember, the law is good. Romans 7.12 says, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So as painful as it is, the mirror of God's law is a gift to us. Through the Holy Spirit's revelation, we need to see who we really are before the light of the world. We can come to him in complete surrender with a teachable heart. The law allows us to be teachable. So what are some of the things the law does and how is it a mirror? Firstly, the law reveals who's on the throne of our heart. 
Jeremiah 11, 6 through 8. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole verses of some of these. Some of these I will, but I'll, I'll go through parts of it just be, for the sake of time. But he says, I brought them up out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. The law also reveals our true motives. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is an incredible picture to me. And I think about the word of God just slicing through the skin, into the joint, into the marrow, piercing and dividing the soul and the spirit and discerning the thoughts and intentions of my heart. So the law does that. God's word does that. The law also reveals wickedness. The law, Timothy says, the law is not laid down for the lost, for the just. I'm sorry, Paul says to Timothy, in Tim, 1 Timothy, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and if you're not on that list, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So it pretty much covers everything else in accordance with the gospel of the glory of our blessed God. And then Romans, Paul goes into detail he says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. But I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And the last point um, that I found was that there was no hope for sinful man under the law. And so Jesus explains this hard truth to us in, in an example. Um, and remember, that hopelessness has to be there before you go, I need a savior. I need, I need help. I can't do this by myself. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Nobody would be able to keep that law. Nobody. Um, a sobering verse in Deuteronomy accurately describes the state of sinful man under the law. And I had never read this verse this way, but I thought it was very um, accurate. It says, your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. So under the law, there is, there's no hope. You, you don't know. And one of the things, uh, when, when my husband has shared the gospel, I, I love this illustration he uses. He says, you know, he says, how good do you have to be to be in heaven? And th there's a point where they say, well, this good or that, I'm this good or I'm that. And he's like, what if you're not good enough? And there's that point of dread where you, ju you just don't know. How can I be good enough under the law? Um, I have a, a, a simple testimony. Um, it's my own. Uh, it's very simple because I was, just before my five-year-old birthday, 
but my, I had gotten in trouble for something. I don't remember what it was, but I remember sitting on my mom's bed and there was, she had a pencil and a piece of paper and she drew an illustration for me and it was a pair of scales. And she said, on one hand, she drew stars and she said, this is God's righteousness. And on the other hand, she drew little balls of sin on the other scale. She said, this is your sin. And she said, only God's righteousness can take away your sin. And you have to ask him to be your savior. And um, anyway, it was, I don't remember the particular, I just remember those balls of sin and that righteousness. And it just made me so mad at like four years old or almost five. And so I, when she left, I took the eraser and I erased all of God's righteousness and I erased my sin and I put all my all his stars on my side. And I was like, <laughs> fine. And I think I even put my balls of sin on his side. Um, and I just remember that picture, so that's burned into my mind. Well, two days later, I, the Lord just was working on my little heart. And um, I came to my mom and I, I just knew and I remembered at that time, I remember thinking, I can't, I can't, be with him unless he takes my sin away and, and his righteousness is, is put on me through Christ. And so even my limited understanding at that time, I knew that I needed, his, I needed him to be the one that saved me and I needed his righteousness. So I, I asked her um, how to pray and she helped me, but I remember that moment. And I praise God that I remember it because not everybody remembers the details, but it is the same testimony I have today is his righteousness covers my sin. And um, that is the only way I can be close to him. And I thank him for his faithfulness through the years, and um, that's to his credit, not to mine. So he has been so faithful. But that's an example of how the law is a mirror. I had to come up against my own sin. I had to understand his righteousness to go, I can't do it. I can't use an eraser. <laughs> you know, I need, I need Christ. Um, so that... That is, um, that's how the law is a mirror. That's an example of my own personal life. So what, so we see that there's a promise of the new covenant. So there's hope that's given to uh, the nation of Israel and to mankind. Um, this new covenant is in Jeremiah 31 through 40. You would have read that through your homework. And then also it's reiterated in Hebrews 8, 4 through 13. This was to be a new covenant and it was not like the old one. Hebrews 8 states that priests serving the Old Covenant laws were serving a copy and a shadow of the things that were in heaven. Jesus was an eternal priest, not from the tribe of Levi, and Hebrews 7 reminds us that a change in priesthood requires a change in the law as well. Hebrews 8, 6-13, I do want to read all of this because it, it's uh, from your homework and it also pivots on what we're talking about today. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one to his brother, saying no to Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, 
for I will be merciful towards your iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So this new covenant was to be internal within the heart of his people and not external. There's no debit and credit system under the new covenant. The old covenant under Moses was destined to fail because of man's inability to control his or, own, his or her own sin nature. The new covenant is a life lived by faith. Any victory in the believer's life will not be through his own power or effort, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many passages in the Old Testament point towards this new covenant. Um, how will God do this? He takes the initiative. God is doing the, cha the changing heart surgery, and the transforming result is a different person. So how does God do this? He says in these verses, uh, Deuteronomy, Jeremy, and Ezekiel, that you, he will circumcise their heart, give them one heart in one way, a new spirit he will put in them, a new spirit he will put within you. These four verses. And then what happens as a result of that? that they will love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul. They will fear him forever. They will walk in his statutes, keep his rules and obey them. They will be his people, he will be their God. And they will walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Only the Holy Spirit can um, wrought that kind of change in the heart of a sinful man. Um, all right, what are the features of this new covenant? First of all, the new covenant's superior. And we see this in scripture. It's superior to the Mosaic covenant to Israel because Christ is the mediator and the guarantor of the covenant. Because of his perfect sacrifice and his perfect character without sin, the new covenant is superior. Hebrews 7.22, Jesus is the guarantor of a, new, a better covenant, cov covenant. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The second feature is the blood of Christ. The new covenant gives provision for sin through the sacrificial blood of Christ. Through Christ, God will forgive sin and remember it no more which was not true under the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, the sacrifice of animals did not take away the scene. It just, it covered, it was a symbol, it was a picture of what was to come, which was Christ. Um, the penalty, uh, how will a holy God overlook sin? He, he won't. There has to be a substitute. The Lord himself has given himself as this substitute, and we are declared righteous because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is ascribed to us as believers. Why blood? Leviticus 7.11 gives us that answer. When God says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. So Christ's blood needed to be part of this new covenant. Innocent blood shed on behalf of the guilty. Um, there is no other way to be saved, and no one can come to the Father except through the blood of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions, Crushed for our iniquities, and with his wounds we are healed, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus refers to the new covenant just before his crucifixion with his disciples when he's eating with them at the Passover meal. This is my body, he says in Luke 22, which is given for you. 
This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then in Hebrews, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience for dead works to serve the living God? He is the mediator of a new covenant. Thirdly, the new covenant was inaugurated at Christ's death. So this is important to understand because um, the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom, opening that barrier between God and man and that relationship, covenant relationship with the eternal priest, Jesus Christ himself. Sinful man could now approach a holy God for the first time, not only as Savior and Lord, but Scripture says as friend. He says, I now call you friends. Um, fourthly, Jesus satisfied the requirements of the Mosaic Covenant law. Jesus' death met all the demands of God's law and justice required against sinful man humanity. Matthew 5.17, this is an important verse regarding the Mosaic Law in Christ. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Christ stated that he would fulfill the written law to the smallest letter and the smallest stroke of the Hebrew alphabet. He fulfilled the moral and ritual laws as both God and man. And the old covenant Mosaic law was in full effect when Jesus spoke these words before his death and the inauguration of the new covenant. The Mosaic Law ended with his death on the cross, thus putting to death the requirements of the law. Until Jesus died, the nation of Israel was to obey all 613 commands. Through the fulfillment in Christ and his atoning death on the cross, the law no longer has authority over New Covenant believers. Fifthly, Jesus' fulfillment of the law through his atoning sacrifice means there is no longer any condemnation or eternal punishment for sin for those who are born in him. I love this quote, Jesus lived a life we could not live so that we could live a life we did not deserve. Um, verses from Isaiah uh, and Galatians um, state that we are counted righteous. We're delivered from this present evil age and we're deemed and adopted. And then sixthly, God's new covenant through Christ will give God's people the ability to obey his righteous standards and enjoy the fruit of his blessing. We have been redeemed from the power of sin under the new covenant. And I have several verses in the handout. I don't have time to go over them with you, but they're great verses. If you have a chance to read them, they're very encouraging. Um, Sixthly, believers have the hope of a guaranteed future, final redemption from the curse. And seventh, new covenant believers in Christ are now reconciled to God and have a direct relationship with a perfect and holy creator. That was not possible before, but now we have that direct relationship. Um, so lastly, I want to talk about the law of Christ because this is very important. This is very encouraging. All believers in Christ Jesus have been redeemed from the penalty of the law. Jewish believers under the Mosaic Law are no longer obligated to keep the 613 commandments given to the nation of Israel. 
All believers, however, are to follow the law of Christ. You're probably familiar with this term. What does that mean? Is this a new law? Is this something weird? This is God's process of sanctification and transformation daily into the image of his son. It's really not anything you are already familiar with. But um, Paul terms it law of Christ. Um, it's called different things in, in other places of scripture as well. I liked Nancy Guthrie's quote from her teaching notes. She said, God's law is first and foremost a revelation of his character. The law is what is because he is who he is. His writing, his law on our hearts means that his desires will become our desires instead of remaining an external set of rules. Most of us love the structure of the Ten Commandments and obviously it's God's rules, God's wrote that they're good. But we love it because it's just ten. We can put it on a poster, we can memorize it, it's easy. Um, but what rules do we follow as believers and what laws do we follow? In the New Covenant, salvation is by grace, by faith, plus nothing. So how do we live a life that reflects his desires? Let's go back in time real, real quickly to the early church in the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after Passover when Christ was crucified and rose again, the believers were gathered together. So this was Pentecost. It was also the Jewish feast of Shavuot. Shavuot was when the Jewish people uh, celebrated the giving of the Ten Commandments at the Mount Sinai. So obviously it's not a coincidence, and I think it's a beautiful picture. So at the same time they were celebrating the giving of the Old Covenant, the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit was celebrating the New Covenant. Um, they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. God was writing his laws on their hearts as his children that each one would know him and they would walk in his statutes and obey him. Um, and there's great verses here from Hebrews. They're on your handouts. Um, the New Testament refers to the law of Christ in several verses. Paul refers to the law of Christ. James mentions the perfect law or the law of liberty. And we also see the terms law of God and law of the spirit of life throughout the, the letters of the New Testament. Um, I've included those verses so you can look them up. Um, I thought they were, it was very interesting. I actually, some of them I had not even thought about or heard about. Um, so how do, how do we navigate this? So for me personally, I had some guideposts that helped me. Okay, so what are, do I, do I wear a head covering? Do I, do I, um, you know, have patience? Like it says, the spirit of the truth. What, what does that mean? So there, there are some guideposts that were helpful for me. Jesus, uh, what Jesus said is the number one for me is the big three. So Jesus gave us commandments. He said in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then there's a third commandment that he gave. He says in John 13 to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So he's speaking to his disciples. So first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself and love one another as I have loved you. So we have this sacrificial love that's added, not just love your neighbor. You love other your the body as I have loved you. You will find that every self-centered, self-worshipping motive is squashed when it's put up against these three. Um, the second thing uh, that helps it for me is spiritual fruits. So we see the fruits of the Spirit. So whenever we are reading in um, the Old and New Testament, we read those stories. God has given this um, for, 
for teaching and for training. And so as we read those, what is the spirit work in the person's life? Where do we sing? What is the fruit of the spirit? So we have the spirit inside of us. What does the spirit-filled life look like? Um, and it says in Galatians 5.16 that the spirit uh, is in us to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. So the spirit-filled life will bear spiritual fruit. Um, and then thirdly, also reading Acts and the letters to the church. So there's a lot of instruction and command, including the, the um, Great Commission that's given in Acts New Testament. So we see specifically things that are reiterated and emphasized to the church in these letters. So there's a lot of instruction there. So you'll have no lack of things to think about, but that is, that's that law of Christ. That's obeying the Lord on that next level. And then lastly, um, imitating Christ. So um, as a believer, I'm to imitate Christ, and both the Old and New Testaments are beautifully woven together to show the glory of God and his attributes. We're told to follow and imitate Christ, and he provides a pattern for us in human form. Jesus tells us that whomever has seen the Son has seen the Father. Our Creator God has given us all we need to follow him, and he's exampled that for us throughout Scripture. So we have Christ, and then we have the, the character of the Father himself. Um, so we are to imitate Christ. And it says in Ephesians, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And I know we're out of time, so I will end with this quote from Sinai and the Saints, which was a very helpful book by James Todd. He says, the law of Christ is not simply the law of love. It is a particular type of love. First, the law of Christ is a love that reflects the great love Jesus demonstrated when he gave his life for others on the cross. Christ's law is not based on a law code, but on Christ's example. Second, the law of Christ is a love that emphasizes Christ's faithful covenant community as the primary arena in which this love is performed. As outsiders witness this love within the believing community, they will understand more fully Christ's love for the world. So it serves as a testimony. One could obey all the Ten Commandments and never come close to the sacrificial love demanded in the law of Christ. In this sense, the law of Christ requires a higher commitment and a greater sacrifice than the Ten Commandments. So I'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the new covenant. Lord, I thank you for your sacrificial giving of yourself and the example that you provide for all of us. Pray that we might love you by obeying you. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that comes in Christ through the new covenant because we can abide in you. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your spirit that allows us to even think about obeying you and allows us to be fruitful. Father, when we bless those around us, may we be a witness to the world and may we know how to love others in the body. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.